on RTHK. AM, FM, and live online. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong. A very warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3 on Tuesday, the 2nd of August. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines. Hong Kong's GDP contracted 1.4% year-on-year in the second quarter, following a revised 3.9% decline in the first three months of the year, putting the SAR in a technical recession. The number was worse than economists' medium forecasts for a 0.2% decline. And between the first and second quarters, the economy improved by 0.9%. Hong Kong Chief Executive John Lee said the government has decided to shorten the seven-day hotel quarantine requirement for inbound travellers. But the Health Bureau and the Hospital Authority have to look at various data before any concrete decisions are made. Mr Lee said that easing travel restrictions to the mainland and the rest of the world are not mutually exclusive goals and both should be pursued in full force. Economic data released from China on Monday provided further evidence of a slowdown in demand for the mainland manufacturing sector. The Kaishin Market Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index eased to 50.4 in July from June's 13-month high of 51.7. Outputs, new orders and employment were all weaker. US-listed Chinese stocks, the offshore yuan and Taiwan dollar non-deliverable forwards have all fallen on news that US House Speaker Nancy Pelosi plans to visit Taiwan tomorrow and possibly stay overnight tonight. She will likely meet with Taiwan's leader Tsai Ing-wen in Taipei tomorrow. Beijing has threatened serious consequences, including possible military action if she visits the island, and she will be the highest-ranking U.S. politician to visit Taiwan while in office in 25 years. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by John Schofield at Tempest Investments and Kenny Wen from KGI Asia. With a view from Japan is John Byrne from the Asian Development Bank Institute. Money Talk on RTHK. On Wall Street, U.S. stocks edged lower at the start of the new month, following their best month since 2020 in July. The S&P 500 index swung between gains and losses on Monday before settling a third of a percent lower at 4,119. The Dow closed 47 points lower at 32,798. The Nasdaq Composite Index, which put in its best monthly performance since April 2020 last month, rising over 12%, slipped 0.1% yesterday to 12,369. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index fell 0.2%. The UK's FTSE 100, that dropped 0.1%. Hong Kong stocks started the new month almost unchanged on Monday, after data showed Chinese manufacturing activity saw a surprise contraction in July, the Hang Seng Index rose just 9 points, or 0.1%, to 20,166, after at one stage dropping below 20,000 for the first time in two months. The Tech Index was 0.2% lower by the end of the day. The Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index sank over 1% after China's top 100 developers saw July sales slump 39.7% year-on-year and by 28.6% month-on-month. 
the index, which comprises 10 of the mainland's biggest Hong Kong-listed real estate companies, is down almost 36% now over the past four weeks. The turnaround in the Hang Seng, which recovered from losses of 1.4% earlier in the day, was helped by HSBC, which jumped 5% after posting a surprise increase in second quarter profits, which was boosted by rising interest rates. Adjusted pre-tax profits rose 13% to 5.97 billion US dollars in the second quarter, exceeding analyst estimates of 4.96 billion. For the first half, the bank reported an almost 14% rise in profit to 8.29 billion dollars and said it plans to revert to quarterly dividends from 2023. Shares of Alibaba dropped almost 4% after the US Securities and Exchange Commission on Friday added the company to a growing list of firms that face delisting under a 2020 law because of Beijing's refusal to permit American regulators to review their auditors' work. In a filing on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange on Monday, Alibaba said it will strive to maintain its listing status on both the NYSE and the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. And Alibaba reports second quarter earnings on Thursday and is expected to post a 61% drop in earnings. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite, that climbed 0.2% to 3,260. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil dropped nearly 4% to $100 a barrel, its largest one-day decline since July the 12th. On ugly PMI data from around the world, gold is at $1,772 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield finished Monday seven basis points lower at 2.59%. That's its lowest level in four months. And the US dollar index is back at one-month lows. The euro this morning traded at $1.25. The bucks at 131.57 Japanese yen. Sterling is worth $1.22.5 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 62 cents. And the Chinese yuan is falling in both onshore and offshore markets. On news of the Pelosi visit to Taiwan, it's down about 0.4% at 6.78.5 in offshore markets, and Bitcoin has dropped over 3% to $23,200. Quick look around Asian stock markets as they open up this morning. In Australia, the SX200 down 0.4%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is off 0.8%. The Cosby is falling about a quarter of a percent in South Korea. Uh, looks like further falls for the Hang Seng this morning. Uh, futures markets pointing to it opening about 220 points lower, which will push the benchmark index below 20,000, starting the day at about 19,950. <laughs> Let's welcome our two guests over in the Queensway studio. We have John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investments, and Kenny Wynn, Head of Investment Strategy at KGI Asia. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Let's start with uh, the local economy here. As you heard earlier, GDP in Hong Kong contracted 1.4% year-on-year in the second quarter. That follows a revised 3.9% decline in the first three months of the year. So it puts the SAR in a technical recession. The number was worse than economists' median forecast for a 0.2% decline. But between the first and second quarters, the economy did improve by 0.9%. 
Two things to note. The decline in GDP was mainly attributable to the weak performance in external trade during the quarter, with exports of goods declining further. They fell 8.6% compared to a decline of 4.5% in the first quarter. And private consumption remained virtually flat compared to a 5.8% decline <coughs> in Q1. So, John and Kenny, um, what do you make of this? We've been in recession now twice uh, in the past three years. It looks like we've spent more time in recession over the past three years than almost any other developed economy. Why, why is that? Uh, well, in a word, the, um, you know, zero COVID policy. Um, I mean, all, none of these statistics are... Uh, are particularly surprising. Uh, we, we see it in the street that you know the reduced level of activity. Um, I'm not sure about the trade trade figure. That's presumably uh, trade coming through from from China. But as we know, there's the, there's less and less cross border exchanges. Um, so um, that also is not surprising. Um, the global situation is, uh, is okay, p p part of the picture. But uh, I think I think we all know that, um, you know, if if we remove quarantine, you know, there will be some kind of mini boom and revival in in, in Hong Kong. Um, I suppose the two know. main things there that you know that are worrying, aren't they, is that this external trade number, our two biggest yeah. contributors to the economy, trade, which is yeah. contracting, and consumption, uh, which isn't growing, although it's not getting yeah. any worse. It's it's not growing. Yeah, well, the consumption figures helped by, I think, by uh, government spending, uh, which which uh, was up, and of course the uh, the consumption vouchers and so on. Um, so I guess it's, but it's plateauing. It'd be, there's been partial opening up uh, locally, obviously, so people are getting out and about, and going to restaurants and, mm. and and bars and and, and shopping and all that. So um, you know that's okay as long as you know it's it's just a. Just a closed closed loop, if you like, within uh, within Hong Kong. That's that seems to be stable. Kenny, I mean, other economies have also suffered the same problems, haven't they? That that Hong Kong has. They have had lockdowns, although maybe not for as long as uh, we've had, or, or, or border closures. They're also suffering from uh, a weak sort of global economy and global demand. But yet, we seem to be suffering worse. We seem to be in recession longer uh, than other major economies. It seems that we don't come out as fast uh, from the dips uh, as other major economies do. What, what do you put it down to? Uh, I think, first of all, uh, the actual data uh, actually, uh, yes, is worse than the market forecast. Market expected point two contraction and finally it's 1.4. But uh, entering a recession, I think, is within the market expectation because during the second quarter, uh, first of all, the global economy is not so good. And also, uh, we, we, in Hong Kong, we have the fifth wave of, uh, COVID-19. And following China, we are still under the zero COVID policy. So, uh, our economy is a hard hit. But there are several points I would like to add. First of all, I think, um, the, the, the worst scenario may be already behind us because when you go to uh, go on the street, you go on go to the mall, you can see that uh, consumption is uh, picking up. Of course, we need to uh, closely monitor the future uh, development. As we all know, uh, the BA2, BA4, BA5 uh, is easily to infected. So we need to closely monitor the newly daily uh, infection data. But I think the government will not tighten uh, the prevention measures. So the worst may be behind us. And also, also, uh, it's a global issue. As we know, uh, the U.S. also entered 
the uh, uh, technical recession, and we expect Europe will also uh, uh, will have the recession. Uh, as as well, so it's as a global issue. We are subject to a global economic slowdown. Uh, it's not only uh, subject to Hong Kong, but I think the key point is the impact on different sectors is hugely differences. And uh, one of the key issue is if we focus on Hong Kong stock market, I think the Hong Kong economy may be not the most important factor. For example, for this week, uh, we need to focus on U.S. China relations. We need to focus on. Corporate earnings as well, but mm-hmm. uh, anyway, living in Hong Kong, uh, the the COVID issue will affect our daily life. Do you take um, heart from the fact that although we're in recession, growth did improve month on month, so sequentially, uh, there was growth of 0.9 percent. Do you do you take that as a positive? Yeah, I think so because uh, as we remember in March or April, there's we have the fifth wave of infection. This is uh, actually we work from home, whole team, our daily life is totally affected. But now I think the uh, situation is improved. But uh, don't forget that uh, now we subject to maybe the Hong Kong banks will raise interest rate in coming month. Mm-hmm. So another hurdle, another challenge will come to Hong Kong. So I, I'm not so optimistic, even though I said uh, the West may be behind us. As, so if rising, with the rising interest rate, uh, maybe not only the stock market will be volatile, this time maybe also have the negative impact on the property market. So there may be a mild uh, wealth uh, uh, wealth impact on, on the on the market. So the private consumption and the external trade uh, is a little bit highly uncertain. Mm. We're going to see another downgrade uh, from the government. The government's already revised its forecast down twice now uh, in the past three months. In its budget speech, Mr Chan forecast the economy will grow by 2 to 3.5%. That's been revised down to an annual growth of 1 to 2%, and now it's going to be revised down again on August the 10th. Do you think we're going to see any growth at all this year? We're, we're perilously close to zero, aren't we? Is it going to be mm. 0% growth now for, for 2022? Is that what we've got to assume? Uh, yeah, I agree with Kenny to the extent that, you know, we, we sort of stabilised the domestic economy, domestic um, domestic consumption amongst ourselves, so to speak. But um, again, you know, it's entirely in the hands of the government. If If we can reduce quarantine, you know, or eliminate quarantine, ideally... Um, and start hosting, uh, you know, international conventions and uh, the rugby sevens in November and all the rest of it. I'm sure that, you know, the economy, Hong Kong economy, will pick up very rapidly. Um, on the point about property prices, and in a way it's a good thing that rentals have fallen on commercial property, uh, and, and retail and so on, and we're starting to see signs that um, of, um, of switching from, from uh, you know, uh, retail outlets to people opening up restaurants again and, and things like that and that's um, you know that's a healthy adjustment I think and they're able to do that because because rentals have fallen back to more reasonable levels mm. um, you know it's, it's uh... the government's talking about reducing the quarantine requirement from mm. seven days uh, we don't know what it's going to be too but do you, do you think that's enough I mean these days now you can go almost anywhere in the world without going into quarantine. So why would you come to Hong Kong, even if you have to quarantine for just one day, when you've got the choice of going somewhere else and not quarantining at all? Is that going to be an issue? Um, well, one day might be okay because people say, okay, well, I can, you know, hunker down in a hotel, a nice hotel somewhere for one. But uh, essentially, you know, t- tinkering in the margins is obviously 
is obviously not really going to help help very much. Uh, I'm afraid it's characteristic of our bureaucrats. They always want to take an incremental approach to things. Um, what we're hoping for with the new uh, new leadership is obviously slightly more bold bold approach. Well, what I'm wondering is, I mean, I mean, Mr. Lee said yesterday that easing travel restrictions on the mainland and with the rest of the world, they're not mutually exclusive. So he's basically saying they can both go ahead together. And he said they should be pursued with full force. But I'm wondering, what measures are we seeing to open the borders internationally with full force? Are we seeing, are you seeing anything? Well, I, I mean, that's a self-contradictory statement, unfortunately. We, we all know that uh, in, the, in the short term, in the in the long term, of course, yes, we we have to aim to open the border with China, but everyone knows that's going to be impossible at least mm -hmm. within this year. So, what so about opening it internationally? Yes, yeah, well, we exactly, should do, shouldn't I mean, we? Uh, with well, full the, force, as Mr. There's Lee no said. evidence that um, you know Hong Kong is now being prevented from doing that by you know mm. by guidance or or otherwise from the mainland. Yeah. Uh, so it's, I think it's self, um, self deterrence or self-limiting beliefs, <laughs> the sort of mm. uh, consultants call it. Kenny, one, uh, other, one other feature of what I'm thinking may be having an effect on our economy. We are seeing a lot of people leave Hong Kong, which is obviously impacting our labour force, isn't it? It means that you know, some, quite a few of those people leaving are skilled people. Uh, they're people who are moving up into middle management or maybe higher management. Is that impacting our economy, the fact that our labour force now is shrinking? Uh, yes, uh, there's this... Uh even though around me there's some friends move out from Hong Kong, but I think it's driven by different factors. Uh, and for the impact on the economy, I think for long term, yes, because we lost some skillful uh, labor, uh, especially for the middle level, for management, that's not good for our uh, uh, long term economy. But for mm. short term, as we still under the telecom reception, the, the, the uh, job market is not so good, so the impact is not uh, appear right now. But I think uh, it's a uh, long-term issue which the government wish to focus on. Okay, let me get your thoughts on the Hong Kong markets. Uh, then uh, we're now back in um, correction territory, aren't we? We're down f uh, more than ten percent from the high uh, we hit in June. All this outperformance that we had been seeing uh, in local stocks and mainland stocks seems to have disappeared. What's happened? I think, first of all, uh, many people asking me this question. Uh, for U.S., as we all know, the, the rate hike is matched with expectation. Uh, and, but for Hong Kong, we subject to several internal issues. First of all, uh, several um, key stock will be uh, selling from the major shareholders. And also, you can see that uh, the market worry about China-U.S. relations. So we subject to several internal factors which uh, jack down our Hang Seng Index. Uh, so I, but as we mentioned in the... At, in the end of June, we already said that for the coming few months, the, the market will be highly uncertain. And mm -hmm. the critical point will be in September and October. In, in, in case in that period we see a slowdown in U.S. inflation, then the Federal Reserve uh, no need to be uh, too hawkish. Then we have a clear roadmap on the way hike. And on the other, other hand, uh, given the past one to two months, the Chinese government already launched out a lot of stimulus measures. So we may have uh, some rebound in the uh, economic data. In this case, with these two assumptions, the fourth quarter Hong Kong uh, stock may perform a little bit better. But for August and September, uh, I'm not so optimistic. 
John, what, how, what, what do you put this underperformance down to? Because um, actually, interest rate expectations over the last four weeks or so in the US have been declining. Uh, you know, you only have to look at the 10-year bond yield um, now. Mm. That's down one of three-month uh, three low. Um, but it doesn't seem to be helping Hong Kong or China stocks. No, I mean, there's a lot of... Um uh, first of all, I think uh, things go in waves anyway. I mean, we, we've seen a, we saw a relief rally uh, in the U.S. La last week. It doesn't mean the interest rate cycles are over by any means. Um, so we're going to wind up. I think the hysteria will wind up again to the towards the next Fed meeting. You know, are they going to do 50 basis points, another 75, and all that sort of stuff. But this is just part of the, the cycle. Um, but uh, it, the Hang Seng Index, it main, for all the big components, there's there's some stock-specific or sector-specific. Like Alibaba, uh, that seems to be. Yeah, well, all the big tech stocks, uh, they, they, you know, we we were they constantly under 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 pressure. Um, good news from HSBC. That's 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 interesting. Well, that helped yesterday, yeah. didn't it? <laughs> this is really showing. You know, this is the benefit. Um, we discussed this a few months ago, the benefit of higher interest rates and normalizing mm. the, the banking system and so on and, and let, letting, uh, you know, savers get a, earn a return on, on their money and banks get, uh, we still cover their margins is, is, is good news. And going back to the whole, by the way, going back, I think very interesting debate going on about HSBC's future. Mm. Um, Got a shareholder meeting today. Go, okay. Yeah, whether it should shift its, um, you know, if it, should shift his HQ back to Hong Kong at least, maybe mm. as a first step, rather than rather than this immediate split. Um, but again, you know, that's will Hong Kong will HSBC senior executives Kenny quickly be very happy to come to live in Hong Kong if they um, if they they don't have to. You know, have all these COVID restrictions. Kenny, final word to you, because uh, we've got to wrap up in a moment. Do you, th do you think uh, HSBC will come back to Hong Kong, or do you think Ping Ang's efforts are going to be in vain? Uh, I don't think so, because the top management already uh, 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 share his views that they won't do so. So I think this is just uh, some of the major shareholders, uh, the, per mm. the personal belief. Okay, well, thank you both very much there. You heard Kenny Wen, Head of Investment Strategy at KGI Asia. John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investments. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Times 8.25 on the phone from Tokyo is John Byrne, Vice Chair of Research at the Asian Development Bank Institute. Morning, John. Good morning, Peter. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, look, we had some pretty awful PMI data from around the world overnight. Uh, the ISM data uh, from the US showed manufacturing in contraction. All of the four big uh, economies in the Eurozone all saw their manufacturing PMI fall into contraction as well. Obviously, there's a big um, drop-off in demand globally. What impact is that going to have on Japan, which is obviously a major exporter? Yes, uh, the, the PMI is hot on the agenda at the moment um, and as, as we're all aware the, the yen has depreciated sharply um, in recent months due to global interest rate developments and, and other factors in commodity prices um, and one would expect as a result of that some increase in competitiveness for the Japanese economy and an increase in, in net exports and possibly even a, an improvement um, in manufacturing output performance. But this is something that we're not observing at the moment, and there are a number of reasons for that, which you've touched upon. 
related to uh, weaker external demand. Of course, there's a lag with which uh, an exchange rate depreciation would actually impact upon net exports, but we don't observe this at the moment, and this is weighed upon by the, the weaker external demand situation, in spite of the sharp uh, yen depreciation that we have observed. Um, so that's what I would say on that. And the, the Bank of Japan's running probably one of the loosest monetary policies now um, in the world, flying in the face of everyone else. We've talked about this with you before, but is, is that helping at all offset uh, the weak demands that's, uh, that's going on in the rest of the world? Well, I mean, it's a difficult situation for the Bank of Japan because um, inflation expectations are still relatively benign. Um, so this points towards the... Uh, uh, decision of uh, no monetary policy action. Um, the problem that is faced, of course, is that there is no pass-through of um, price developments that we're observing into uh, wages, and um, th th this means that um, there needs to be a, a coordination between fiscal and monetary policy in the current environment in order to ease these external price pressures. So, I mean, another factor to bear in mind is that even though the yen has depreciated sharply, a large portion of um, the supply chain for manufacturing in Japan lies externally in China. So um, with the situation in China, this also doesn't help the, the manufacturing output um, scenario for Japan. So what does it rely on then um, if it's going to grow its economy, uh, if, it's not manu if, if it's not exports and manufacturing? Well, at the moment, um, for the remainder of the year, 2022, private consumption, is, which is underpinned as well by fiscal support, is uh, going to be the, the main driver of uh, growth for the remainder of the year. Um, there's been a slight downward re revision in the growth projection towards the end of the year due to recent developments. Um, and, and this private consumption is also, I would say, highly uncertain um, given price pressures that are impacting upon uh, the, the purchasing power of uh, income. Mm. For, for consumers. It's not as bad as in the rest of the world, though, is it? If you look at the US, um, you know, the, and, the, and the UK, for example, the rise in the cost of living there, which has been pretty extortionate, is really impacting consumer spending decisions. Presumably in Japan, it's not as bad as that, maybe not yet anyway. Yes, well, the situation in Japan, as I touched upon, is that there's um, little evidence of pass-through of the external price pressures to uh, wages, so basically firms are reluctant to pass on the, the price increases for fear of losing, uh, to losing market share to competitors, uh, and this, this means that the, the situation is a, a little more flat in terms of uh, inflation numbers. Uh, compared to the rest of the world. Mm. Well, we're seeing basically monetary conditions tightening around the world, and that's affecting financial markets, a lot more volatility. Are there risks for financial stability in Japan? I think um, it's, it's important to take into account the risks associated with the yen depreciation. So the problem with th this is that um, it creates a lot of volatility and it affects investment planning over the longer term. So in an environment of high volatility, um, this all obviously impedes um, future planning on, on the business side. As well as that, uh, something that has been in place for, for many years in Japan is a, a low interest rate environment. And this can lead to excessive risky behavior uh, in the banking sector. And th these risks are possibly compounded in the current environment. 
Um, mm. As well as that, while the stock market has remained somewhat resilient in recent months, there, there are risks in certain segments of, of, of the stock market um, which need to be monitored closely, mm. I would say, um, over the next few months. John, thanks very much. That's John Byrne, Vice Chair of Research at the Asian Development Bank Institute. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Japan right now, the Nikkei 225 is off close to 1%. Uh, the, Nikkei, uh, the ASX 200 in Australia down about a third of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea has fallen 0.2%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to fall about 230 points at the open, taking it below that important 20,000 level. Uh, looks like the index is going to open around 19,940 later on this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. I'll be back for Money Talk. Coming up after the news is Back Chat with Janice Wong and Ada Wong. The weather forecast, mainly fine apart from isolated showers, very hot during the day, maximum temperature of around 34 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. It is going to be more showery with thunderstorms tomorrow and those showers are going to be heavy at times on Thursday and Friday and then lessen gradually over the weekend. The very hot weather warning in force once again, temperature is 30 degrees right now, 75% relative humidity. Times 8.32. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. The president of the Hong Kong Pediatric Society has urged parents to get their young children vaccinated against COVID as soon as possible, as there's been a rise in serious cases among young patients. Dr. Patrick Ip made the call after a 22-month-old girl who was infected with the virus died yesterday. He told RTHK vaccination is the best way to protect young kids. The very sad case is a big alarm to our professionals as well as to our parents. Uh, in the past few months, where the condition has been more stabilized, quite a number of parents do have some hesitance about receiving a vaccination, probably because they think COVID would not affect their children too much, even though they are returning to schools. But now we know when children are returning to schools and then we are relaxing all those social distancing measures, we would expect there would be more and more children being affected, including those very young children. So protecting the children with an effective COVID vaccination should be the way to go. He also backed a recommendation by government advisors yesterday to lower the minimum vaccination age to six months. The hospital authority has rejected safety concerns about paracetamol it procured from the mainland when the fifth wave of COVID peaked earlier this year. The authority said that although the batch of medicine was not registered here, it had examined the safety and quality of the drug before buying it. Officials said it was the responsible thing to do as local suppliers couldn't cope with surging demand for the drug. But they said the one-off supply would soon run out and the authority will switch back to locally manufactured paracetamol. The head of the UN has warned that the world is one miscalculation away from nuclear annihilation. Antonio Guterres said the risk of such a disaster was higher than at any time since the Cold War. He pointed to Russia's attack on Ukraine as well as rising tensions on the Korean Peninsula and the Middle East. Mr. Guterres was addressing a conference of signatories to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. The clouds that parted following the end of the Cold War are gathering once more. We have been extraordinarily lucky so far, but luck is not a strategy, nor is it a shield from geopolitical tensions boiling over into nuclear conflict. Today, humanity is just one misunderstanding, one miscalculation away from nuclear annihilation. We need the treaty of non-proliferation of nuclear weapons as much as ever. 
A new study says scientists aren't taking catastrophic climate change outcomes, including human extinction, seriously enough. The authors say that the consequences of more extreme warning are dangerously underexplored. In a paper published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, they argue that the world needs to start preparing for the possibility of what they term the climate 